we need to edify on purpose. Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. I found this story. I don't know if I wasn't able to personally verify it. A couple of sources I, I checked say it's true. You be the judge. There was a church in a small town in Tennessee that had a most interesting name. The sign in front of it said, Left Foot Baptist Church. There was a young man who passed by the building several times, and he was always, always got a good chuckle from the name. Finally, one day, when he was walking, uh, waiting on his bus, he asked someone about the church and the unusual name. I don't believe that he was counting on the answer that he got. He found that out that several years before, a great conflict arose in the church. You see, it was a church that believed in foot washing. They washed one another's feet as an act of worship. But the conflict broke over which foot should be washed first. Half of the congregation thought they should start with the right foot. The other half thought they should start with the left foot. The conflict simmered and brewed, and finally the left foot proponents split off and organized their own church. Of course, it was called Left Foot Baptist Church. I pray that's not a true story. <laughs> but it wouldn't surprise me. It's an unusual story. But it does show how sometimes we can let small, insignificant, completely ridiculous things simmer and get in the way of what God wants for his people and his church. I'm very thankful for the spirit that we have here in this church. We're never going to put left foot or right foot out on the sign. That we display this unity within our fellowship. But that unity, that coming together, that spirit needs to be maintained and worked on and it needs to happen on purpose. The love of God that we share, that's our focus. When we let small things, little things, insignificant things get in the way of our purpose, that's when the devil not gets a foothold. From my perspective, at that point, he's won. Two weeks ago, I started talking about being intentional. 
Two weeks ago, we talked about we need to exist on purpose. Last week, I said we need to evangelize on purpose. And today, we need to edify on purpose. Not only are we to reach out and help bring in the lost and to go to them with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but then once we bring them to the Lord, we need to be used by God as a vehicle for them to be not just converts, but become true disciples of Jesus. That involves a relationship. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. The word edify in the, in, 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 in the Greek is to build up. I want to be a church that reaches the lost. But I don't just want to reach them. I want to establish a relationship with them so that we can edify them. The Bible doesn't say go into all the world and make converts. It says go into all the world and make disciples. And that is a much long-term process. About a year ago, I preached a series on what I really see from my heart for this church, that I want it to be a safe place. I want you to come in here and just be who you are. A safe place where you can learn. And how many know that learning involves making mistakes? A place where you can grow. A place where the saints of God can be built up. Because that building process is vital to who we are as, a, as individual believers. And it's vital for what we present to the overall onlooking world. So how do we do this? First, we focus on God. Not our own preferences. We don't focus on how I was raised. We don't focus on our individual heritages. We focus on God. Verse 22 says, let us draw near. This author is speaking to a group of Christians who have gone through a lot in their local community. And he's reminding them that even if you've gone through difficult times, even if you've experienced tragedy, and although we stay strong as Christians, we know that those difficult times can bring us down a notch or two, can make us a little bit leery as we walk, even though we keep walking. But he wants to remind them that we can enter boldly into the holiest place because the Son of God died for you and me. We now have access to a place that once before was only given to the high priest and even then only once a year. But you and I have that assurance today. We need to draw near and focus on God. It seems basic. It seems simple. But that's real hard to do if people are used to only walking their own way. If people are only used to doing things the way they like to do them. Well, Pastor... When I was growing up in church, we did things this way. Okay. Unless you've noticed, this isn't the church you grew up in. But I like when we sing like this or do that. What you're saying is you prefer a church where you call the shots. I figured it got quiet now. Or where you're in control. 
Now, we all have preferences, and we all need to listen to each other's preferences. That's part of being a community. But ultimately, what matters is God. God and God alone. I can't promise you this church will be perfect. In fact, I can promise you it will not be. We have imperfect people here. They're wonderful. As you look around, you can see they're extremely good looking. But if you look for long enough, you'll also find out that we're a mess. Say amen because you're a mess. I'm a mess too. One thing we will always strive to be at Calvary Church of God is real. We will be real about the real issues of life, about the real problems of life, because we serve a God who has a real power to bring into your life and into mine. So where is life headed? What really drives us? We want it to be fear, uh, uh, faith, but sometimes it can be fear. This place will be a safe place, but it'll be a real place. We will talk about real issues, and we will reveal the real word of God. If people want to play and pretend and not deal with reality, then I can promise you this will not be a safe place because that's not a place where people can be edified. That's not where we can then go boldly into the holiest place and see God do things in our lives that we want him to do so much. First step would be to focus on God. Next would be to focus on his ways. Paul says in verse 33 that we need to hold fast to what we professed. No matter what goes on around us, no matter what new philosophy comes up on the evening news, no matter what new principle become, uh, starts to trend on Twitter, no matter what our culture dictates, we will focus on God and his ways. We will focus on God and what he calls right and wrong. We will focus on God and how he wants people to live and breathe and move through life. No matter what goes on around me, no matter how much pain that might cause, no matter what happens today that makes absolutely no sense. And how many know we have an overabundance of things in our culture today that make absolutely no sense? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, a couple of chapters later from our primary passage today. The author will say that Jesus is the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith. Since he is the author and finisher, since he is the builder of our faith, he does that through you and me. We need to focus on God. We need to focus on his ways. And where I'm going to be for a while today, we need to focus on his people. Verse 24 says, let us consider how we can stir one another up. Now, in the Greek, there are two different ways that word stir can be taken. 
and I want to focus on the positive way it can be taken. Because the positive way is we can inspire or even provoke one another to good works. The other way in Greek it can be taken is that we can irritate one another. Please don't become an irritant. The overriding sense in that passage is a strong, unwavering commitment to God's people. And how many know people sometimes can be a challenge to get along with? Don't look around at anybody else. Just say amen. Church folk can be really, really, really strange sometimes. Maybe we're talking about some other church today, not this one. There are two down the road, or is it down the road? I don't know where they are, but they're down the road. Church folk can be insensitive sometimes. But I wouldn't trade church folk for anything because that's my family. We're the body of Christ. Helping others grow begins with a commitment to the place where we come together and meet because I need you and, let's face it, y'all need me. Verse 25, let's not give up meeting together. Let's encourage one another. We can't do things unless we can do them together. You need to be encouraged. You need to be edified. You need to be discipled. And you know what? I need all those things too. And that happens when God's people come together. We all go through different things in life. We get down. We lose heart. Life can beat us up sometimes. You wake up on a Sunday morning and sometimes you just want to stay in bed. Not any of you. get up on Sunday morning and you're expecting sunshine and it's raining and you look outside and it's kind of gloomy and you think, I'm just going to stay in bed today. But I didn't. My wife said, we've got to go to church, so I'm here today. (laughs) We need each other. And that doesn't happen unless we're together. This is about the church working to edify the body, to making the body strong, to making the body vibrant, to making the body alive and focused on all it can be. And that doesn't happen even when we're together accidentally. It happens on purpose. We're called to encourage one another. Isn't it nice to be someplace where someone Smiles because you're here? Because I go lots of places where even if someone doesn't say it, the impression they give is, you again? It's nice to know that people are happy that you're here. It's nice to know that there are people you can call and that are praying for you. I had a wonderful conversation last night with Sister Diana McCready. She shared a number of weeks ago that She's gone through some really tumultuous times. 
and then she was facing surgery a couple of weeks ago. And on top of that, she's had to move from where she's lived for the past 15 years. She called, and we had a wonderful chat, and she just wanted to share. She just is sitting in her new apartment for the second night, and she just senses God's peace. God's total peace in her life. Now, she would have felt that peace anyway. But isn't it wonderful to be able to share it with somebody? To be able to encourage somebody else. To know that there's a family of God. And she wanted me today, she asked me, please, Pastor, tell the church, I am grateful for all of the prayers, all of, all of the prayers, all of the support that I have received. We need that in our lives. And it's something you don't get in the world because all of their support is conditional. We'll support you if you believe this way. We'll support you if you walk this way. We'll support you if you don't talk that way. We're going to support you because that's what Jesus does for us. We're called to encourage one another. The church is more than people meeting together, singing some songs, listening to me. It's being involved in one another's life, in one another's daily journey, going with Sister Diana through all that she's experienced and knowing that God brought her to a place of total peace. She says, Pastor, I don't understand it. Oh, so it's a peace that passes all understanding. Yes. You see, we want to understand everything, but when God gives you that peace, I'm not going to stand there and say, what does this mean? How is it possible? I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. What are some of the practical ways we can do this? Let's see what the early church did to bring that existence into their lives. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And in this passage, there are four main little areas that pop up. First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We need to be constantly learning. There's only one type of Christian that doesn't need to learn anything anymore. And the word for that is dead. And I'm going to go out on a limb. I could be wrong. You can correct me, but nobody here is dead. We must be constantly learning, which means that in order to learn, we need to constantly be in a place where we freely and openly admit, I don't know it all. But learning is more than just studying books. We need to learn one another. Like, we've all learned over the course of the two years that my family has been here that if we ever schedule a trip as a church to an amusement park, no one here is going to ask me, Pastor, you want to go on the roller coaster? (laughs) No one's going to ask me that. I've made it abundantly clear how evil I think those things are. Or at least they're not for me. That's learning one another. Learning each other's buttons, if it was. We come together to learn and then to teach one another. 
as I've tried to teach you about how evil those things are. But learning and teaching remind, uh, requires that we remain teachable. Even the most novice person in the faith can come into, into this church, having only been saved for a month or two, and can teach me in my walk something. That's when you know we're teachable. You're in a very dangerous place when you feel that you're coming to church because other people need me. You need them also. So the first area would be teaching that they were devoted to. They were also devoted to fellowship. Now, most Christians I know in this church and every other church I've ever been a part of, when they hear the word fellowship, they think of one word, and it's food. There was a genuine and unique excitement I saw on everyone's face a few weeks ago when I announced we would be returning to having fellowship after the services on Sunday because that meant food. But the fellowship is more than just eating together. It's building together. It's being able to enjoy together and talk to one another and share and enjoy one another. And this doesn't only happen around food. It can happen in a time of Bible study, which we'll be looking to do some of that in in the fall, in just going to the market together, in doing everyday things together. The early church, they involved each other in one another's lives. They weren't, didn't just do things together. They were devoted to one another. The third area that was mentioned in that verse from Acts was in the breaking of bread. Now, this does uh, speak specifically to the Lord's table and to celebrating Holy Communion. But it's not just about sharing in that ritual. It's also sharing in that we remember why that ritual is there. Church, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. I have entrance into heaven only because of what Jesus did. And sharing the impact of that together. This is about always remembering. No matter how polished and no matter how righteous I may think I am, that it was my sins that sent him to the cross. It was my sins that put him there. This should bring us together. You never get so experienced in your walk with the Lord that you don't need to once in a while remember what you were like without him. Because without him, we're nothing. But with him, all heaven becomes available to you and me. With him, all things become possible. But it was my sins that required a sacrifice. And that's something we can do together. And the fourth area is they were devoted to prayer. We need to pray. The first thing any enemy wants to do to a soldier is cut that soldier off from his or her commander. Then that enemy will know that soldier is defeated. And the first thing Satan wants to do in your life and mine is cut us off from our commander, our commander Jesus. 
So we need to be people who pray, and we need to pray together. Now, it's always a good idea to talk to God, but we want to gather like on Wednesday nights or at other times to pray because prayer is vital. It is communication with the Lord. The more we talk to God about other people, I'm convinced the less likely we are to talk about other people. You know where I'm going with that? Get a lot of people who talk about other people. So I've always been convinced, don't tell me about other people. If what they're doing bothers you that much, go talk to God. Because first of all, if they're a Christian, God owns them anyway. So you need to talk to him. We need to pray one for another. We need each other's prayers. We need each other's strength. We need each other's love. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, there's an analogy in nature that's just so telling. If you go to California in this country where you is the place where you would predominantly find redwood trees. They're tall, they're majestic. They are awe-inspiring to see them. But you always find redwood trees in a forest. You really don't ever find a redwood tree standing off by itself somewhere. The reason is because while they're tall and inspiring and majestic, redwood trees have an extremely short and shallow root system. Standing by themselves, they will fall over easily. How do they stay strong? By interlocking their roots with other redwood trees so that they can together remain strong. You don't have to be a theologian to see where I'm going with this. We need one another. We need our roots connected with the roots of other believers that we might stay strong and majestic and, and feel that support. That's our responsibility, I believe, as God's church, to hold each other up, to remind each other that we can go boldly into God's presence, not arrogantly, but boldly, because his blood has been sprinkled over your sins. His blood's been sprinkled over your heart. And that can be encouraged when we're together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective work by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We need each other. We need to come together. I need people in my life. Now, I understand sometimes we get overwhelmed and we can actually look at life and think, well, it's kind of too peopley out there. And all of us feel that way at times, so that's why it's good that God anoints the, the place where we can spend time alone with him. But spending time alone with him is no excuse for not finding time to spend it with his people. 
because we need the body of Christ, and you're part of the body of Christ, but you and I can never by ourselves be the entire body of Christ. We can never be self-sufficient. We will always need the gifts that other people have to speak into and to inspire our lives, to hold each other up, to build one another up, to edify one another, and yes, on purpose. Stand with me, please.